Thanks for listening to the weekly sermon. We hope you enjoy this message by Pastor Kyle Hubbard. For more about this podcast and other resources, visit our website at www.riverinthehills.com. In Jesus' name, we welcome you even more. Amen. All right. So the title of today's message is The Beatitudes, Part 4. The Beatitudes, Part 4. The subtitle is The Eight Essential Virtues of the Heart That Will Guarantee You a Blessed Life. We all want a blessed life. Well, let me tell you, there is a guarantee that you will have a blessed life if you welcome and pray for and walk out the eight Beatitudes from Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5. So let's look at it now. And seeing the multitudes, Jesus went up on a mountain. And when he was seated, his disciples came to him. Then he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy themselves. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. (laughs) Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. And here's the beatitude for the day, the last beatitude, the eighth beatitude. Blessed are those who are persecuted. Everyone say persecuted. Persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs in that moment of persecution is the kingdom of heaven in that moment. Blessed are you when they revile and persecute you for your faith in Jesus and say all kinds of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad. Throw a dance party. For great is your reward in heaven when this happens to you. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. I want us to note here. Go to the next slide. Jesus takes two more verses to expound upon this final beatitude. This is the only beatitude that he takes the time to explain and give more detail on. What does this mean for us? This fact should show us how uniquely important this issue of persecution is for us to grasp, to understand, and to grapple with, to wrestle with the truth of this promised reality of persecution. Now, why? Think about it. Why do you think Jesus chose this beatitude of persecution to give more clarifying detail on? Out of all the eight, Why did he choose to expound upon this one? I think it's really simple. Because Jesus knew we were going to need it. (laughs) He knew we were going to need so much detail on persecution so we could be prepared for it. So that we could be overcoming in the face of it. Because guess what? Jesus is the best motivator of all time. He's the best motivational speaker of all time, times a thousand. He knows how to motivate us to greatness, eternal greatness. So 
Jesus, as the best motivator, knew that of all the valuable subjects that he would cover in the Sermon on the Mount, the subject of persecution would need more motivational explanation. It would need more detailed description of the eternal rewards and promises attached to it to motivate us to not run away when we're being chased like a gazelle by a lion. Why, again? Because guess what? Jesus is acquainted with our weakness as humanity because he was fully human. Jesus knows intimately the human frame, the human makeup, the human spirit. He knows how incredibly weak we are because he was weak like one of us as a human. He knows how prone all of us, including your fiery pastors, you think we're fiery all the time? No. We doubt. We're human. We have weak days. We have weak moments all the time. <laughs> he knows how prone the human spirit is to wander, to draw back, and even to quit when things get tough and especially painful. He knows us so well. So let's really pay attention. Let's focus on this teaching of the surety of persecution. It is assured to everyone who wants to live godly in this life. Let's really pay attention how we're to respond at the end as overcoming end-time saints. And I believe I'm in a room full of overcoming end-time saints. Let's look at the verses specifically, Matthew 5, 10 through 12. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when they revile, when they make fun of you, when friends leave you and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice, that means to spin around and dance. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad, for great is your reward in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. You're in the same company as the prophets of the Bible when you get persecuted. That's pretty cool. All right, let's give a, a qualifier before we jump into persecution. Here's a qualifier. Look at the phrase on the next slide. Persecuted for righteousness' sake. Persecuted for my sake. Jesus' sake, he says. I've been guilty of this right here, what I'm about to say. We need to be careful on what we are labeling persecution and spiritual warfare in our lives. Why? Because the Bible has a really narrow definition for what is considered righteous persecution as opposed to just the normal sowing and reaping consequences that are a result of, a lot of times, us making unwise and sinful choices. Unwise and sinful choices often <laughs> are the cause of what we're labeling spiritual warfare. Like, for example, I'm guilty of this. Sometimes I stay up too late looking at social media, and then the next day I'm tired, I feel worn down, I'm like, wow, I'm really getting persecuted by the devil. The Lord's like, no, you stayed up till 11, 15 last night looking at social media. 
You need to go to bed at 9.30, and then you'll actually have an overcoming day and not feel worn out. That's not persecution. <laughs> That's not spiritual warfare. That's an unwise choice by me. Or we eat junk food, and again, we feel worn out. Junk food could even cause anxiety and depression. I won't go into detail on this. I'll let my mom talk about that. But we eat junk food. We're not, it's not spiritual warfare. It's an unwise choice. Right? <laughs> and then let's say like a couple people are spreading rumors about you behind your back. Like, wow, I'm just like Jesus. But then the week before, you were spreading rumors about people behind their back. And so you reap what you sow. That's a little whispering office talk. <laughs> we need to make sure that we're being persecuted for righteousness' sake and for Jesus' sake, not for unwise or sinful choices. Amen? Next slide, 1 Peter 3. For it is better at the bottom. It is better <laughs> if it is the will of God to suffer for doing good rather than for doing evil. There's people in Gaza right now that feel like they're suffering. There's people that are part of Hamas being like, oh, big bad Israel's hurting us. No, you made really bad choices when you killed all those Jewish people on October 7th. You are reaping what you're sowing. You're not getting persecuted for your faith in jihad or whatever, in Muhammad. It is better to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. Obviously, we know this. John Chow a few years ago brave missionary, went to this island that had never seen someone that wasn't part of their ethnicity before. They were so hostile to him. He was in the bay right off this island, figuring out, saying, Lord, do I go now? Do I go now? He finally went into the island, and very soon after, they killed him. They killed him. He was bringing Jesus to this island. And so it is better, clearly, to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. All right. Now, what does this mean? To be persecuted for righteousness' sake, for Jesus' sake. It's really, really clear. There's two things, mainly, that we will face persecution for. We'll face resistance. We'll face affliction. We'll face imprisonment. We'll face economic sanctions if we do these two things. It's really clear. I love how clear the Bible is and how simple it is. Revelation 1, it says it many other places. John was in exile. He was persecuted on the island of Patmos for the word of God. Who's got a Bible? Who's got a Bible? He was persecuted for his stand on the word of God. He believed the Bible to be true, and he wasn't backing down. He wasn't drawing back from the word of God. That is righteousness' sake. The Bible is fully righteous, fully pure, fully right. So when we stand on the word of God, we will face persecution. And then it says this, I was on the island called Patmos for the testimony of Jesus Christ. Because he believed in Jesus, the, the God-man that he was with for years. And he shared the testimony of his life. And he also shared the testimony of how Jesus changed everything for him, gave him a new heart. So when we share about the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, when we share how Jesus saved us, even when we share how Jesus saved our neighbors, our friends, that will guarantee persecution in your life. But if you stay silent, guess what? You're probably not going to have persecution. But if you speak up, people are going to hate you. 
They will hate you when you stand on the truth that marriage is between one man and one woman. That there are two genders, male and female. He made them in the beginning. People will hate you. They'll label you a hater, a bigot. And when you share how Jesus changed everything for you, we love it here because we follow Jesus, but the world doesn't like that. And when you tell your neighbor's testimony, your friend's testimony, with their permission, they won't like that either. So this is the way that we will get persecuted. Make sure when you're feeling resistance, it's either for your stand on the word of God or because you're opening your mouth and for Jesus' sake. His testimony of how he lived a perfect life and your testimony of how he changed everything for you. All right, let's look at a few aspects of persecution. There's three main aspects according to Jesus in Matthew 5. The first one is the actual word persecution. This is the Greek word dioko. You don't have to say that. Persecution, dioko. This word picture in the Greek, I love the word picture. I mean, I hate it, but I love how clear it is. I said it earlier. It's, being, it's when we're being chased after by a hostile enemy. We're running for our life because a hostile enemy is breathing down our neck. We're the gazelle in this picture. <laughs> and this is an evil totalitarian government seeking to take everything away from us with a lawsuit in the future. <laughs> We're like the gazelle being chased. First aspect, Dioko, this is related to physical threats that would cause damage to our physical bodies or our physical health. This is a physical threat. Thankfully, in America right now, we don't have a lot of this. But 60 countries in the world have this. You behind now. We'll look at that in a second. So again, this is physical imprisonment. Puts you behind bars indefinitely. Physical torture. Physical deprivation, privation. They remove food from you, water from you, even air with waterboarding. Remove air from you. That's terrifying and even bodily death, ultimately. Okay? We'll look at this right now. What does this mean? This is how Paul described it in Romans 8, this word, Dioko. He says, as it is written, guess what? This is a description of the church, especially the end-time church. As it is written, for your sake, Jesus, not for my bad choices, but for your name in the Bible, we are killed all day long. We are accounted as believers, wholehearted believers, as sheep for the slaughter. Yes, we're above the snake line in the spirit, but in the natural, how are we viewed? Sheep for the slaughter. This is in the Bible. This is in the New Testament. <laughs> You're like, man, I don't know if this is true, Kyle. You're kind of exaggerating it. Well, in America, it feels like a bit of an exaggeration, but in 60 nations of the world. That's over a fourth of all the nations. There are 300 million believers in those 60 nations that daily face the real possibility of bodily persecution and even giving their lives of being killed, martyrdom. 300 million believers right now, today, your brothers and sisters in Pakistan, in Iran, North Korea, many other places. Iraq, some of our beloved church members right now face this possibility. 
don't believe me? This is a real stat. Think of this. The 20th century alone, from 1900 to 2000, 100 years, that 100-year block produced double the number of Christian martyrs than all the previous 19 centuries before it combined. 1900 years from the death of Christ, the resurrection of Christ, to 1900, double the amount of martyrs in just the last 100 years alone. So it's increasing. It's not going down. It's increasing. Around, and just another number, around 6,000, I would say 6,000, 6,000 believers per year are giving their life for Jesus right now. And it's increasing. That's 16 believers per day. So probably one or two during this church service have given their life for Jesus. They're losing their life. For the sake of what? The Bible, their stand on the word of God, and their testimony that Jesus changed everything for me. What does this show us? For me, it's really exciting. Even though it's intense, it's really exciting because it's a sign of the times. It's a sign that the second coming of Jesus is more imminent than ever before. Why? Because guess what? According to Revelation, there is a full appointed number of martyrs that must give their life for Jesus before he returns. We don't know this number. God has a number in his heart. Isn't this wild? He's got a number like 700 million believers have to give their life before I return. Look at this. Revelation 6, verse 9. John saw under the altar. Guess where martyrs go after they die? You can't get any closer to Jesus than if you give your life as a martyr. You're not even before the altar. You're not in front of the altar. You are under the altar. You can't get any closer to God's throne. You're under his throne. You're completely with him, absorbed into God if you're a martyr. He says, I saw under the altar (laughs) the souls of those who had been slain, killed for the word of God. There it is again, for the Bible and for the testimony of Jesus, which they held. The two things. The angel told them they're crying out for justice in this scene. The angel said, you can rest. You can rest a little while longer. Until, everyone say until. Until the full appointed number of their brethren who would be killed as they were was completed or fulfilled. There's that appointed number. No greater honor than to give your life for this beautiful God-man. Second aspect, reviled. This is what Jesus said in Matthew 5. Blessed are you, Amber, when they revile, when they make fun of you, when you lose friendships and they persecute you. So this is onedizo, the Greek word onedizo, reviled. This is to be made fun of. Yikes. To be scolded to be insulted publicly, to be reprimanded harshly by an authority figure, or to be penalized financially or socially with economic sanctions. Remember, the believers in the end times, you're not going to be able to buy or sell. (laughs) So we've got to have faith to multiply food, right? He's going to give it to us. Spoiler alert, he's going to give us a lot of faith, even more than we have right now. (laughs) This is the idea of a social credit score. This is being reviled. When you go to church, they're watching. Oh, they're going to church? Let's dock them a little bit more because they went this Sunday. 
to church. And what the, the hardest part about being reviled, guys, this is real. It's rejection. Being reviled leads to being rejected by friends, by family, the people closest to you, and society, of course, as a whole. And guys, this aspect and the next we'll look at is related. These are not physical wounds. These are soul wounds that happen because of our stand for the Bible and for Jesus. These are real soul wounds that really hurt This is verbal or written arrows and threats that would cause damage to our souls, our emotions, and our relationships. And guys, this is really real. This is a pastoral point. Soul wounds, and we know this, soul wounds that are usually accompanied by a form of rejection are way more painful and long-lasting than physical wounds. You'll get over that beating in a few weeks. But when your closest friend leaves you because you're radical for Jesus, that hurts for years. Or family members kick you out of the house if you're in the Middle East for following Jesus and not following Muhammad. That hurts for the rest of your life. It really does. This is real. We need to be prepared for it. All right. Third aspect, it's related. but It's a little bit more specific from Jesus. He's, he promises, guys, people will falsely speak all kinds of evil against you. False accusations will follow an on-fire life. If you're doing anything for God, false accusations will come your way. So what is this? He says, blessed are you, Rusty, when they say all kinds of evil against you falsely for my sake. I'm going to read this because it's pretty technical. So I really want to get it right for you guys. So I'm going to read this. So what does this mean? This is when the devil, which in Greek means the accuser, the devil will inspire credible people with a spirit of accusation against a pure believer. How does it start? It usually starts small with a simple suspicion about that person, like the questioning of their motives or a subjective criticism of like how they hold the microphone. (laughs) If unchecked, this suspicious spirit eventually will mature to such an extent that it will actually gaslight the accuser. It will distort their perception to such an extent that the accuser will actually believe, they really believe terrible made up lies about this blameless believer. And that accuser won't stay silent. They'll start spreading these lies with the devil inspiring, the devil's intent being to assassinate the character of this godly person, to discredit the reputation of the godly person under attack. Overall, the devil, the accuser, loves to anoint. You know the devil's got an anointing? The devil loves to anoint influential people with supernatural demonic power to falsely accuse innocent saints of terrible things, unspeakable things, and evil crimes. And what's the ultimate intent of the devil? My dad mentioned it earlier. 
the ultimate intent of the devil, the ultimate goal is to divide the body of Christ against each other. Getting 100 people on this side of the argument and 50 people on that side of the argument defending the person. That's the ultimate goal of the devil is to divide the body of Christ against each other. Why? Because the devil hates the thing the most about the body of Christ is the unity of the body of Christ. Because he knows when the church is unified, nothing will be impossible for them. When the church is in perfect Holy Spirit unity, nothing will be impossible for them. So he wants the church to lose its most powerful quality. It's not even our anointing. It's our unity. (laughs) And how is it expressed? It's expressed through a unified church operating in unified love for one another, fully loving each other, fully believing the best. Unified prayer. Touching heaven completely together, agreeing together, shifting the heavenly atmosphere over a region together, and unified evangelism, going after souls for Jesus, robbing hell, plundering hell, and populating heaven. This is what the devil is afraid of the most, so he's going to inspire accusation among the body. So be prepared for it. Don't be caught off guard when people start spreading lies about you. Sean, at your workplace. Sorry, it's probably going to happen because you're stand on the word of God. This isn't a demonic prophecy. This is what Jesus is saying. Be prepared for it. Stand your ground. Overall, guys, what is persecution? This is really key, this next slide. Persecution is both a demonic attack, we get that, meant to hinder our spiritual growth. But at the same time, This is the good news. Persecution is a divine gift intended to accelerate rapid growth of our spiritual life. Persecution is both a demonic attack meant to hinder our spiritual growth, and at the same time, it's a divine gift intended to accelerate our spiritual growth. This is the language the Bible uses to describe persecution. It says, God granted Sean to be persecuted at his workplace. What does grant mean? That's a gift. God gifted us the opportunity to respond well through persecution. And it also says, God appointed, set in place that his people would be persecuted. Why? Again, so that they could be transformed into his likeness in an expedited manner. Persecution, (laughs) if you go through three months of persecution, that's like three years at a university, a Bible Bible school, maybe 30 years. (laughs) 30 years at a Bible school versus three months of real persecution, it's the same growth. (laughs) What is this? I love this. It's the ultimate, what the enemy meant for evil, inspire accusation, God turned it for good. What the enemy meant for evil, God turns it for good. So, here's a question for us this morning. What direction will persecution take us? Will it be a hindrance leading us to draw back in fear and isolation? Or will it be an accelerant? Everyone say accelerant. Will it be an accelerant leading us to look more like Jesus in an expedited way? How do we know how we're going to respond? It's really simple. Two ways. This question is answered by, how one, how we view it, 
how we view persecution, and two, how we respond to it when it happens. How we view it and how we respond to it will determine what direction persecution will take us. All right. So cool. The Lord showed me basically what time I'd be at this slide. We're a minute early. Praise God. (laughs) His timing is perfect. All right. We're going to do rapid fire. These are five ways. This is going to help us respond well to persecution, help it to be an accelerant to looking more like Jesus. Five ways to view, first, persecution. we got to view it the right way. we got to look at it the right way with the proper lens, biblical lens. And then we're going to respond to it. So take a picture, I encourage you, of each of these slides if you have your phone. Because you can meditate on these later because I'm going to go rapid fire. First, the first way to view persecution, it's a chance. I wouldn't say a chance. It's a chance for deeper encounters with God. And deeper encounters with his glory realm specifically. We all love God's glory. When the glory's in the room, nothing else matters because his glory's here and I can talk about cows and y'all fall out. When his glory's in the room. When we encounter persecution, we are promised a unique measure of God's glory resting on us. This is the verse, 1 Peter 4.14. If you are reproached or reviled or made fun of, For the name of Christ, blessed are you, Norm. Why are you blessed if you're being made fun of publicly? Because the Spirit, the Holy Spirit of glory will rest upon you in a uniquely strong way. Who's got the glory of God on them right now? All of us, I believe, to some measure. But it's going to come in a uniquely strong way when you're persecuted. You're going to feel God like never before when you're being made fun of publicly. And that'll be the best feeling. That'll be way better than just drawing back and living a comfortable life because you get to feel God more. And this is really about feeling. This is like, oh my goodness, my whole being is being flooded by God's glory and his presence. I can't even get up. So powerful. That kind of experience is promised to those who are reviled for Jesus' sake. I love this story of Brother Yoon. Who's heard of Brother Yoon in underground China? He was a leader, a church leader in underground China, persecuted, physically tortured. Guys, he spent seven years, seven years, 10 feet underground in a four-foot-by-four-foot box. Seven years underground in a four-foot-by-four-foot box in the worst prison in China. For his stand on what two things? Tell me. The word of God and his testimony that Jesus changed everything. Seven years, four foot by four foot box underground in China. People interviewed him after he supernaturally got out. Guys, angels opened doors for him, like the New Testament, and he walked out. (laughs) So they asked him after he got out, they're like, Brother Yude, how terrible was it? It must have been awful. He's like, oh, no. Oh, no. Jesus was so near. Don't feel bad for me. He was so near. What is this? This is 1 Peter 4. The spirit of glory and of God will rest upon you (laughs) if you're 10 feet underground in a four-foot box for the name of Jesus. (laughs) It's real. Second way to view persecution. It is a chance 
to overcome the enslaving power of sin and to walk in greater levels of purity. This is what 1 Peter 4 also says. It says, therefore, since Jesus suffered for us in the flesh, he was beat, 39 lashes, arm yourself with the same mindset of Jesus. Why? Look at this promise. For he who has suffered persecution in the flesh for Jesus has ceased from sin. Ceased from sin. That he should no longer live the rest of his time in the flesh for the lust of men, but for the will of God. So what is this saying? If you're willing to undergo physical mistreatment, emotional mistreatment, being slandered publicly, and stand and not back down, stand for Jesus, if you're willing to do that, sin doesn't make any sense at that point. (laughs) If you're willing to undergo physical pain for the name of Jesus, you're not going to be likely to go into that besetting, addicting sin. It will help you to overcome the enslaving power of sin when you undergo persecution. What is this like? The persecution is like a refining fire, and you're the metal. And it purifies the desires and the motives of your soul and your heart. It's really clear. Suffering pain. Think about it. If you're willing to suffer pain for Jesus, you're not going to go look at pornography. Most likely, it's going to help you get over it. Suffering pain and mistreatment for Jesus has a unique way of purifying our hearts, our souls, our desires. Like a refining fire purifies metal. Does that make sense? That's what the scripture says. Third, it's a chance to give God something costly, uniquely costly. It's a chance during persecution to give God a sacrifice of praise. Because think about it critically. This broken, jacked up world that we live in, this tough life that really has pain, that really has mistreatment, that really has friends leave you, that really has real loved ones dying of cancer, this life, this present age, is the only chance. I'm going to say only chance. It's the only chance we have to worship and obey Jesus through pain, through sorrow, through confusion, through spiritual warfare, through even death where you could be getting stoned like Stephen. People throwing stones at you, and you're worshiping, smiling, looking at Jesus in heaven, worshiping, giving Jesus something costly. This life is the only chance. So that's how to view persecution. I get to give Jesus something in this life that I can't give him in the age to come. Because they're going to be, look at this, God's going to wipe away every tear from our eyes. There will be, when Jesus comes back, no more death, no more sorrow. No more crying. There will be no more pain, no persecution, no resistance when Jesus comes back. For the former things have passed away. Does that make sense? All right, fourth. How to view persecution the fourth way? It's a chance. This is clear, too. It's related to the second one. It's a chance to grow in Christ-like endurance. You know this. Isabel is an endurance runner, perseverance runner, (laughs) long-distance runner. This is a chance to grow in Christ-like endurance, perseverance, and to come to a place of wholeness, or what the Bible calls perfection, which is completeness, wholeness. What is this? 
we got to view persecution as a training ground, as boot camp, spiritual boot camp. Who's been to boot camp in the military? <laughs> Is it easy? No. Does it prepare you, though? Oh, yeah. <laughs> That's what persecution is. It's spiritual boot camp. Persecution is a training ground that builds our spiritual muscle mass and produces perseverance over time. And this purpose is so that we ultimately don't fall away from the faith as the end time pressures increase. How do I get this? I get it from James 1. My brethren, river in the hills, count it all joy when you fall into various trials. Why? Knowing that the testing of your faith, persecution, will produce patience, which in the New Testament, that word patience means endurance, perseverance, spiritual muscle mass. But let patience, allow it. Don't run away from persecution. Don't welcome it, but don't run away from it. Let patience have its perfect, complete work. Because at the end of the day, once you get out of this season of spiritual warfare, you're going to be perfect and complete, whole, lacking nothing. Look at that promise, lacking nothing on the other side of the fiery trial of persecution. That's a promise to put your name on. Last way to view it, worship team, you can come up. Fifth, it's a chance to store up eternal rewards. Persecution is a unique chance. This is how Jesus motivated his disciples more than anything. He said, look to the age to come. Set your mind on things above. Set your mind on the heavenly realm, as my dad was encouraging us earlier. This is how Jesus motivated his disciples the most. He said, you got eternal rewards that will never rot, never fade away, never experience inflation, economic drought-proof, <laughs> recession-proof, Eternal rewards. This is what he says in Matthew 5. We saw it. He says, blessed are you when you're persecuted for righteousness sake. Why? The main reason we're blessed is because he says, great is your reward in heaven. Not small, not medium, not even large. Great, huge, massive. You can't even imagine how big your eternal rewards are for one little cup of cold water that you give in my name. When someone's cursing you, you give them water. You have no idea what it's going to look like when I come back. How beautiful, how transcendent, how majestic your eternal rewards are. Oh, great is your reward in heaven. This is how I've taught my youth over the years. Y'all might remember this from years ago. Because of this verse, Matthew 5, I have taught my youth over the years that when they encounter resistance or insults or they lose friendships for standing for Jesus, they should listen in the spirit when a friend doesn't text you back because you're inviting them to church. Listen in the spirit for a cha-ching, 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 eternal reward, eternal reward, your bank account's growing, cha-ching, cha-ching. Every time you get mistreated, cha-ching, listen for it because it's real. Brandon, Brandon, you in here? How many friends have you lost for your radical pursuit of Jesus? Think about it. Four. Four friends he's lost in the last six months. Cha-ching. 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 You're going to get a hundred more in this life and a billion more in the age to come. 
This is how to view persecution, a chance to store up eternal rewards. He's my hero. He's 11, and he's my living hero, one of them. (laughs) Second Corinthians says this. We can all stand to our feet. For our momentary, this is how the Bible describes persecution, affliction for standing for Jesus. This is how Paul describes it. He says it's momentary. It's not going to last forever. There's an appointed end to suffering for Jesus. There, I just prophesy this. There is an appointed end. If you're undergoing spiritual warfare, relational warfare, there is an appointed end to suffering. It will break. It's not forever. It will break. I'm standing here as living proof that it will break. It's momentary. And it's light. Yeah, it's intense, but compared to what's coming, it's light. This momentary light affliction or persecution, it's working for us a far more exceeding eternal weight of glory. That's eternal rewards. How do you measure how much gold someone has? It's by weight. How do you measure how much silver? It's by weight. Your heavenly bank account is getting heavier, more weightier every time you endure and you overcome persecution. That's how to view it. So let's respond right now. First way to respond is what I've been doing the whole time. You can go to that slide. We, knew, we need to expect it. Expect it. Don't welcome it, but expect it. Don't be surprised when persecution comes your way. And if we're expecting it, anything you expect, you prepare for So how do we prepare for persecution? There's a thousand ways, but the main way is storing up the oil of intimacy with Jesus. That if your heart is a lamp, that it would be full of oil. And what is that oil? It's face-to-face nearness with Jesus. That's how you get oil. You look at him with the eyes of faith. You look at him through the word of God. And oil will fill your lamp. That's how we prepare. Timothy says this, or Paul to Timothy, all who desire to live godly in Christ will suffer persecution. Beloved, don't think it's strange concerning the fiery trial, which is to try you as though some strange thing has happened to you. We sent Timothy to encourage you that no one, I'm here today, sent to you to encourage you with this message, that no one, not anyone from River in the Hills would be shaken by the coming afflictions. For you yourselves know, do you know? That we are appointed, set in place by God, prophesied to undergo persecution. For in fact, I told you beforehand when I was with you today that you will suffer. So remember this guy jumping up here telling you that you're going to go through persecution. Next way to respond, and then we're going to pray together. (laughs) It says it so many places. Rejoice. Count it all joy when the enemy's breathing down your neck like a devouring lion, when he's crouching at your door, knocking. Count it all joy. Throw a dance party when you're in jail, when you're in that four-foot box. Throw a dance party because Jesus will be so near. And the only way to have true joy in the midst of chaos and demonic persecution is by cultivating an eternal perspective. It's what the Lord woke my dad up with a few nights ago. Look on the things above, not on the things beneath. Look on the heavenly things. 
A mindset on the Spirit is life and peace. That's the only way to have joy is to see and to hear the cha-ching. If you hear the cha-ching, you'll be instantly freed. I've had to do this before. I had to do it the other night. Was being made fun of what it felt like for my stand for Jesus, my stand for purity. I had to hear that cha-ching for myself, and it helped me get over it. (laughs) Acts 5.41. They, and I'll just prophesy, river in the hills, departed from the Sanhedrin where they were getting beat, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer shame for his name. If you undergo persecution, it means God is counting you worthy, Naomi, to undergo this. You are worthy to suffer shame for his name, and he knows what he's put in you is enough to overcome it. You're counted worthy so you can have a dance party. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad. Paul says this, not only that, we also glory and we celebrate in our tribulations, knowing that tribulation produces perseverance, endurance. We looked at that. Paul even said this. He said, I take pleasure. What? I take pleasure, joy, delight in infirmities, in reproaches, in needs, in persecutions, in distresses for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. All right, we're going to respond together right now real quick, two, three, four minutes. We're going to break up into groups of three, four, five. I want you to find three or four or five people around you, come together, and we're going to pray for each other. The only way to properly respond to a message like this is to do a preemptive strike of prayer. Thanks for listening to the weekly sermon. To download the notes and slides for this message, visit our website, riverinthehills.com. If you would like to partner with us in moving God's heart and changing the world, please subscribe to our podcast, leave a review, and share this episode with a friend.